We read from the last book in the Bible now, from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and beginning at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, And on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be twelve thousand stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its walls and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. 
The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of pure gold, like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. The Lord laughs at the wicked because he sees his day will come. The Lord is making all things new. If you'd like to uh, turn in your Bible again to Revelation chapter 21, it may be helpful uh, just to have that open in front of you as we think about making things new, as we look at the context in which the verse sits. Uh, And uh, I'll be uh, referring to the ESV if the wording is slightly different to the version that you have in front of you. God is going to make all things new. People get weary sometimes. They get disheartened by the sordid aspects of the civilization that we are part of. People get discouraged by their own feelings. People look back and think, if only I had my life to live over. If only I could make a fresh start. This is, I suppose, part of the uh, attraction of emigration. People think of having a new start in a new land. Um, revolutionaries like the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, they saw their revolutions as a new beginning, and they started counting time from year zero. That was the beginning of a a new time. We're now into February, often at the beginning of January. It is the custom that people may make resolutions that this year they will change in various ways. But we know that as time goes on, uh, many people can lose hope that a real new beginning, uh, a new start is possible for their world, for their society, um, for themselves. And people can feel trapped by their circumstances, by their inheritance, by their background. And what a wonderful message we have in the good news of Jesus Christ that we don't have to try to patch things up by uh, moral reformation and just stick a sticking plaster on the messier parts of our lives. It is that we may have a new life. It is not that we can just chip away at and reshape our inner selves. It is that God miraculously 
in a way we cannot see, by the power of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, gives us a new life. That word regeneration, newness of life, generating, regenerating uh, that which was, in a spiritual sense, dead. It's not that we may just conserve what is is, uh, left of our, our planet and our environment, although it is important that we are good stewards of that which God gave to us, but it is that we may look forward to the prospect of experiencing a new earth, a new universe. The maker of heaven and earth, the Almighty God, spoke to the prophet John on the Isle of Patmos from his throne in heaven, from his his place of rule and sovereignty over our lives and over all things, all the affairs of human beings, from the throne. Repeatedly in Revelation, the, the, the messages come from the throne, the center of power in the universe through all generations. And he spoke to him for succeeding generations, for everybody here this morning to hear. And through the word read, we have heard his declaration this morning. He began his statement in verse 5 with the word, Behold, that's a command, listen, pay special attention. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is said in the context of the final stage of God's working to save a people for himself. It comes in the book after the judgment of all men and women before his great white throne. Uh, when the unrepentant uh, and wicked have been banished to the lake of fire, heaven and earth pass away. When God created this universe at the beginning, we know that God saw that everything that he had made, says Genesis 1, and he saw it was very good. But sin and rebellion brought about God's curse upon the creation that we are now part of. There had been nothing inherently sinful about the physical creation. It was the environment man had been created to to dwell in and to serve God in. But as a result of that curse, it has been bent out of shape. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the, the creation was subjected to futility, to cycles of of death, uh, of, of destruction, of things breaking down. And it, but he says the creation itself will be set free from this bondage to decay. These patterns of, of destruction, uh, of futility will end. He says the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. It's not groaning in the pains of Death. It's not that it's dying, it's the pains of childbirth because there's something new coming, a new heavens and earth. It's not that we hear these groans, we see that there's something 
deeply wrong with the universe as it now is. It still reflects God's glory, but because of that curse, death has entered in. But we can see that there is going to be a new beginning. Uh, Peter says, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We are waiting, Christians are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. It seems uh, likely from the scriptural uh, model that the entire universe uh, is, is not going to be completely done away with, but rather that it will be burned up by fire, it will be transformed, and the earth and heavens will be made anew. The curse will be undone. It will be set free from the bondage. The Lord Jesus Christ at resurrection was, was given this new resurrection body, and yet he was recognizable to his apostles. When it speaks of the believer's body, it, it speaks about a seed going into the ground, and then this, this new body that comes, and yet there's some connection there uh, with the old. God's purpose will be fulfilled. There's a wonderful arc from uh, Genesis to Revelation, a wonderful uh, completion. That which becomes flawed in Genesis becomes perfect uh, in Revelation. The saints will indeed inherit the earth. Abraham did not receive his part of the land, the promised land, during his life, but he believed the promise and he looked forward, says the book of Hebrews, he was looking forward to the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God, Hebrews 11 and 9. And here we read about a city coming down from God. Abraham, he didn't receive his part of the land, but he looked forward. He saw there's something coming, a city uh, who's found, uh, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, he looked forward to the new Jerusalem and the new world which God would bring into being. Uh, again, from that chapter of Hebrews, it says the other patriarchs also uh, died in faith, not having received what was promised. So they didn't, they didn't have it in this current creation. But the author of Hebrews says, they desire a better country. God has prepared for them a city. They were looking forward to this new city. We wait for a new heavens and a new earth. So let's, let's just uh, direct our attention again for a time to these, this opening section of Revelation uh, chapter 21. Because I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. Here is this new heavens and new earth. What a, what a privilege it is to travel and to see different parts of our creation. So often we're, we're inside offices and cars and man-made structures. When we get out and we see uh, the, the, the glory that is still reflected in the creation. What a wonderful thing it is. But what will this new heavens 
and new earth be like. Uh, there's a, a lovely passage in uh, The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis where uh, in a fictional way he talks about them saying this, this new place that in some way reminds them of the most beautiful parts, the parts they most loved of the old earth. And yet it's as if the old one was a very poor photocopy, a, a very faint shadow, and this is, this is the, real, uh, the real thing. The Bible uh, has, between Genesis and Revelation, has many wonderful developments, uh, and there are many reflections of the first book in the end. Uh, there's the garden theme. Uh, in this new city, there are rivers and trees of life alongside each avenue. One commentator calls it like a, a park of trees of life. They were banished from the tree of life in the first book. Here there are trees of life lining uh, the rivers that flow through this city. In the first book, they, they are banished from the presence of God. And in the last book, uh, God dwells with them. Uh, there are references to rivers, references to gold, references to the mountain that we see uh, replied to and, and echoed and fulfilled uh, in this end. Uh, God had announced through the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So there's the new heaven and the new earth, and the sea is no more. Uh, we might wonder why in particular does, it, does he choose to make reference here to that part of the creation, the sea? Well, the sea was often uh, a, a picture of the churning of the wicked and of the nations. The prophets talk about the way the, the waves crash up on the shore being like the, the wicked who can never be at peace, always restless, always churning. And for the land itself, with wave after wave of uh, enemies against them, Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians, uh, crashing into them. In the book of Revelation, the beast comes out of the sea. It's produced uh, from these hostile forces that seek to crash against the people of God. So I think that is, is perhaps why we could think it. it singles out, out of this old earth, the sea is no more, because often it was a picture of the restless, wicked, uh, and a source of danger, and the source from which the beast came. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the picture here is of a a new city, a community, a place where people dwell together, a new version, a replacement for the earthly Jerusalem. So often we sing about it in the book of Psalms. For the people of God, Jerusalem was seen as the center, and within Jerusalem in particular, one hill, Mount Zion. So sometimes we sing of Mount Zion, and it's a picture for all the people of God for the center where God dwells. But the old Jerusalem had come under the wrath of God, had been destroyed by Roman armies in AD 70. And God is, is saying there is a new city, 
that I have established. In the book of Hebrews, I think this is an important verse in, in understanding this picture of the city, he explains to the Jewish converts who've had to leave behind their old family connections. They were used to going to the temple in Jerusalem. It was such a big part of your your life. The, the Jewish people were so proud of their temple. This was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was to be kept. This was the place where God was to be worshipped, the special place he had established. But they'd had to leave that behind. They'd maybe been cut off by some of their uh, relatives. They, they were cast out of the synagogues. And to those uh, converts in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, he says that in becoming Christians, they had come to, this is chapter 12, verse 22, they had come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So that's just what we've been reading about. And he says, if you've become a Christian, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn. You may have lost out your, your part in this, this old structure of, of Judaism that now you've been cast out from. You may be being persecuted for having become a believer. But he says, actually, you have now become part of this new structure that God is building where his presence will be, not just in, a, in an earthly structure, perhaps of gold and silver and the finest woods. This is being built with people, with, with human beings whom God is changing, and he's taking them as, as bricks and building this new city. Um, so why is the city then pictured as being like a bride on her wedding well, think again of, of what's gone before in the book of Revelation. Often, you know, we have a false prophet. We have a, a false Christ, an antichrist. Uh, there are all the attempts by the evil one to, to duplicate and to fool people with false structures. And there is a false bride. There is the harlot city of Babylon, which has been judged in the earlier chapters. So he's dealt with this false bride, this harlot city, and now we have the faithful city, which is not this unfaithful bride, it is the faithful bride, the bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb, the church of all God's people. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel uh, had been condemned by the prophets for, for becoming like an unfaithful wife and the picture of uh, the relationship between uh, God and his people, between Christ and his church, is it often uses this picture of, of this closest uh, relationship of uh, husband and wife. And when Paul is, is speaking to the Ephesians, he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So he draws that parallel, and then he says, and he gave himself up for her so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Paul, uh, elsewhere writing to the Corinthians, says, I betrothed you, the church, to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. 
betrothal was like engagement, but it, it was more significant. In a, in a Jewish uh, marriage, it began with this betrothal. So it, it wasn't just like receiving an engagement ring. Terms were accepted in the presence of witnesses. Uh, there was a legal engagement. It was binding. And, and at that stage, God's blessing was pronounced in the union. Then there would be a, a period of, of waiting and separation, an interval, during which the, uh, the, the man, the, the groom, would pay the dowry, the, the wedding price uh, of the bride. And then at the end of that period of waiting, the bride would adorn herself, uh, the bridegroom would go to her house with his friends, be carrying torches, and then they'd have a procession back, taking the bride back to his home. These festivities lasted at least seven days, including the wedding feast and the marriage supper. Uh, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah had written, As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. The church is betrothed to Christ. There is that link already established. Christ paid the price for his church and his blood. With his blood, he bought her. We, ha we have been born in the time of separation, the time of waiting. But he will come again. He will come with his holy angels he will take his people, the church of God, to be with him. And then, in the picture of Revelation, the wedding feast will begin. The, the supper, the, the time of uh, great celebration will begin. Verse 3 of Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The voice, as we have said, comes from this place of rule and control over the universe, the throne. It's called the throne of God and of the Lamb. In chapter 3 of this book, Jesus said, I also conquered and sat down with my Father on the throne. So it's, it's the, the throne of, of God, the Father, and the Son uh, ruling. And for God to have his dwelling place among human beings is to reverse that separation that occurred when Adam and Eve were put out of the garden. It fulfills what, what was being pictured in the tent of dwelling. Remember when they were going through the wilderness and they put up this tent and it was right in the middle of the camp and they were all circled around it, all the different tribes, God was to be there in the center. This is a perfect fulfillment of that. It's a fulfillment of the, the tabernacle and the, the holy of holies, this place uh, that they looked towards as the dwelling uh, for God. Uh, in the law of Moses, God had declared, I will make my dwelling or tabernacle among you. I will walk among you and you shall be my people. Leviticus 26. Time and again, in the Old Testament, his people had gone astray, but he said, there's a new covenant coming. There is a new uh, way of my dealing with you coming where these things will be fulfilled perfectly. 
In the prophets, God had said, I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Those words are echoed here as the Bible comes to an end. In the Gospels, Jesus had said, My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with them. God says that of the person who is converted. I'm going to make my home. My Father and I will come through the Holy Spirit and indwell believers and make you his home. And again and again what we see is, yes, we're looking forward to the end, but God has already started these things. He already indwells believers. The the body of the believer is described as a temple of God because God through his Spirit indwells. This work has already begun. These blessings, this new work has already begun in you. He will uh, dwell with them, uh, it says in verse 3. He will dwell. The word that's used there for dwell is connected to a tabernacle, and it's only used twice in the Bible. And both times it's used by the Apostle John, once here and once in the first chapter of his gospel, the gospel of John, John 1.14. And he uses it there about Jesus, the eternal son, taking on human flesh as a baby, being incarnated. And he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. And it's the same word that we have here. So as Jesus came and was was physically present among them, so here God will dwell with them. The greatest blessing of heaven is full access to fellowship with God, who is the source of all good. So we've considered how God is, is making all things new. Let us also consider that God has already begun this work of making uh, things new. Um, in the, uh, God has already begun to make all things new. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, uh, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So for any of us to have a part in God's people and God's church, we have to be made new. A new people is needed for this new world. A people transformed and made new by his spirit. A new beginning needs a new birth and a new heart. Many of the elements to be fulfilled in the end have begun uh, and are being fulfilled now. God dwelling with his people. God is dwelling with you through your week. If you are a believer by his spirit, the Father and the Son uh, have, have begun their work inside you. On the day that, that God changed you, granted you a believing heart and a believing mind, that was that work of regeneration and of us being treated by God as a new person. No longer did he look on us in, uh, under judgment, but rather under newness of life. Uh, the old person is viewed as being nailed to the cross. As far as God is concerned, as far as your guilty record, your criminal record is concerned, that was paid for by Jesus Christ. He bore the punishment, and it cannot be repeated. 
And so there is newness of life. The old, the old man, the old identity is done away with. And he gives us a new identity in Christ as part of his church, uh, as someone beloved by him, uh, someone who is, is given the righteousness of his son and who is no longer under his wrath, but is, is on whom he pours out his love and his forgiveness. So the, the old becomes the new already. Some verses from the New Testament. Paul in Galatians 6 says, circumcision doesn't count for anything, nor, nor if you're not circumcised. What matters is a new creation. It's having a new start. It's not external rituals. It's are you part of this new creation? In First Peter, uh, Peter wrote, God has caused us to be born again. We know that that word is often used, but it, it is a biblical expression, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We sang about the resurrection because this is the start of this new work. Through the resurrection, we have a part in this living hope. And when he talks in, in Philippians about the power of his resurrection, he says his desire is to know God through Jesus and the power of his resurrection. The, the power is, is the power to change. It's the power that transforms individuals in the sight of God. And he says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. We, through faith in Jesus Christ, through the way that God identifies us with him, immerses us in him, links us to his death and his bearing of, of our sins, links us to his, his life and his fulfilling of the law, through this through his resurrection, we have a part in this uh, new hope, in this living hope. And the church is the corporate coming together of all those people whom God is working in. God is, is not just creating new individuals. The church is a new society. He is already building this holy city. The holy city is, we are clearly told in Revelation, is the bride. This is a picture uh, that, that Paul uses in Ephesians. He says, you're being built together into a temple for God. Um, and Jesus is the first of those to be resurrected. So God is, is making all things new. God has already started to make all things new. This is not just about the future, though we have a tremendous hope as we look forward but it is about now. God is already at work doing these things. And as we finish thinking about this section, what does God making all things new mean for us this week? Well, in Ephesians, Paul says, put off your old self and be renewed, be made new in the spirit of your minds. Put on your new self, created a new creation after the likeness of God. In other words, be reminded of who you are. Be reminded that that old identity, that old way of operating 
In God's sight, it's dead, it's finished, it's buried. And you have a new identity, and you're not trapped in that old way. God is starting. God is doing a new work. It's not that you are trying to turn over a new leaf. God is starting this as part of his new creation, of the new order of things. Uh, the old person, is, it's, it's the old man speaks of your previous way of life under God's judgment, tainted by your, your, your inheritance, corrupted by sin. But that has been done away with. Uh, but although it's, it's, it's put to death, although the old identity is wiped, it's very easy to return to those habits, to those outlooks, you're not bound to, but it can happen so easily that we go back into that old way of looking at the world. We'll take a couple of pictures. You could think of someone who uh, has given witness in a trial against gangsters, and they're given a new identity. They're given new passport, new driving license, new um, health numbers, and they're moved to another country. We sometimes see this kind of thing in, in films. And they're moved away, but they forget they've got a new name. They, they call themselves by the old. They forget that they're supposed to be someone new. Or a different, all, all illustrations are flawed, but take a factory. And the old owners have been, have been corrupt. The practices were bad. It, it's closed down. The old boss has lost his power. And there's a new administration come in. And new owners take over the factory. And they, they want to work properly and right and have good working practices. But the workforce, although they don't have to do any of the old things, they're used to it. They've been doing it for years. And it's so easy to slip back into the old way of working. That's what Paul is talking about. You don't have to live like that. But sometimes, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, when you wake up in the morning, you need to remind yourself, God has made me new. I don't have to live that old way. I don't have to fall into those old habits. I don't have to follow that old thing because I'm set free from it. And that is the sense in which we need to be reminded uh, of to put off the old self and put on, keep putting on. It's, it's a continuous tense of the verb. Keep putting on the new self created after the likeness of God. We need to be reminded of who we are. We need to be encouraged in the Christian life. Paul says, because of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, be steadfast, immovable. Don't be shaken. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What you do for the Lord, what sacrifices you make, uh, what difficulties it creates for you from others. It's not in vain. There is a new heaven and a new earth coming. Amen.